I'd like to introduce one of this morning's speakers, the amazing Tom Hatch. Honest, honestly, I think this message has just got better because she's going to be speaking as well. So we, um, we, we, first, we first started CoLab preaching uh, back in 2020 when uh, we were in lockdown. And uh, we had the, the blessing of doing church from our lounge for all the world to see. People would say to us, gosh, you guys look so comfortable. And I would say to them, you didn't see us 30 seconds before we hit go live. But it's an interesting thing when God places something on two hearts and they begin to share it and build it together and how it just it takes on a life. And, and our, our prayer for you this morning is that uh, as we share what God has shown us, both collectively and individually, that, uh, that you'll be really blessed, that uh, your soul will be fed, but even more, your spirit would be connected to God more and more than it already has been. So uh, before we go anywhere, can we just, let's just lean in, let's pray, eh? let's give this to God. Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity that Susan and I have to unpack the gospel, to share your word with the family here, both on site and online. Lord, it is a humbling thing to be given the responsibility, but the immeasurable privilege to unpack your word. And so, Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of revelation and truth. And so we ask that you would come, that you would take the simplicity of what we, we've seen and what we're sharing, but you take it and you add the dimensions of heaven to it that only you can implant it in our soul. The Bible tells us that your word, your truth is an incorruptible seed and that you plant it that you plant an e eternity in the hearts of men. So, God, we're asking that you plant this in that eternity for the glory of your name in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so let's just set a scene. Let's just, uh, whoops, picture if you can. Jesus, he's just come out of 40 <laughs> days, rugged days in the desert. We read in the Gospels how he was, filled, he was baptized by John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he was led into the desert for 40 days where he prayed and he fasted and he was tempted by Satan himself. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if it gets more, much more rugged than that. I can't, I can't imagine three days in the desert without coffee. But anyway, um, 40 days he fasted, he prayed, he was tempted by the devil himself. Only that didn't work and the, the, you know, the devil wasn't able to get Jesus to worship him. So in disgust, he walked away looking for a more opportune time, and then angels came and ministered to him. And he emerges from the desert, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to journey through the land. So picture this, he's probably at least 15 to 20 kilos lighter, looking like he's just been dragged through a gorse bush backwards, but shining in the light of heaven. And he starts to walk along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and he looks at them and he says, come follow me. And that there is the beginning of where Jesus starts to call the disciples, who will become his 12 disciples, his, 12, his inner circle. That's the beginning of that journey. And it says in the scriptures that he traveled throughout Galilee and everywhere he went, he preached in the synagogues. He was uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He was healing every disease. He was healing every sickness. Nothing like this had ever happened. In this, in this time frame, I mean, even, even these people, they were raised in the Torah. They were raised in the first five books. They were raised in the laws of Moses. They were raised in hearing of the miracles of God in Egypt. 
but they'd never seen anything like this in their time. And word begins to spread. It's so incomprehensible, yet so undeniable. Word spreads, and it spreads fast. Large crowds begin to gather from all over Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, and in the Decapolis. The Decapolis is 10 ancient Greek cities that reach all the way up, into, up to Damascus. And can you imagine this? No social media, no mobile phones, no emails, just word of mouth. And this, these stories, these amazing miracles are being shared and spoken by word of mouth across a land mass that's somewhere between 12 and 15,000 square kilometers. To bring that into context, that's like something happening here and people at the end of farewell spit hearing about it. And they don't just hear about it, they begin to come. They begin to gather. Now, no planes, trains, and automobiles, just camels, donkeys, wagons, and walking, and yet they come. And we read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, one day, Jesus saw a vast crowd gathering to hear him, so he went up the slope to a hill and sat down with his followers and disciples, spread over the hillside, Jesus began to teach them. When we read this chapter 5 in the book of Matthew, it's given a heading, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. In actual fact, this sermon spans three chapters, 5 through 7, and it covers a number of topics, but specifically in chapter 5, there is a part of Scripture that is called the Beatitudes. And Jesus is speaking, and I believe what he's doing right there is echoed in the heart of the Apostle Paul when the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians, and it says this in chapter 2, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, this message that Jesus speaks to the crowd is just that. He's helping them understand God's incredible plan. And he's teaching them how to live with complete confidence in him. I mean, right now their minds are just completely caved in because of what they're seeing and what they're hearing. But he's teaching them, you can have confidence in this. He's teaching them about a beautiful attitude that all people can live by. And to do this, he highlights in the Beatitudes, he highlights eight unexpected situations in which they, and guess what? We today, King Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. These eight unexpected situations where they find themselves in, and he teaches them how they can function in and with God's favor and blessing. Here are those eight unexpected situations. So we're going to read them in Matthew 5, verses 3 to 10. So starting from verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Carrying on from verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
So I want to have we look at that word blessed this morning. I want you to have a think about times in your life where you have felt blessed. So do that for a moment. Think about a time that you felt blessed and what caused you to feel. This could take a long time. I said a moment. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're not listening, Tom. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but I think generally we look at the term blessed as something that we deem ourselves to be when things are going great around us. Uh, or some external thing happens, like we gifted something amazing, or we're provided for, you know, like, I am so blessed. So what happens, if that's the case, when we're then in a time of trial or hardship, when we have nothing left, are we then not blessed? But these verses here that we've just read would indicate that our concept of blessing could be a little off. So how can we get our heads around being blessed when we've lost something or someone dear to us, when we're being persecuted because of our commitment with, to God, or we're just at the end of our rope, you know, yeah, sure, I'm falling apart right now, but man, I feel so blessed. I mean, who says that? <laughs> I don't. She doesn't. I don't. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> so let's have a look at what the word blessed actually means. According to the Key Study Bible, the Greek word for blessed in these verses is makarios, which means, wait for it, to be fully satisfied. It's the privilege of receiving God's favor, regardless of external circumstances. I know, right? My thoughts around being blessed has been a little bit shaken up. <laughs> so in the Old Testament, makarios is described as those who lived far from the worries of others, like in another world, really. If you were blessed, you were free from earthly cares or problems. You were rewarded or blessed for righteous living. Those rewards were external, wealth, success, generally leading to good health. But Jesus, in these verses, uses that same word, makarios, to describe the state of the meek, the poor, the grieving, persecuted. So what's changed? I don't believe that the meaning of makarios has changed. I think that Jesus is teaching us what true blessing is, that it is not dependent on those external things that can be taken away in an instant, think Job, but rather <laughs> that our blessings are the things that send us running headlong into him. And that's where our security, our belonging, our spiritual prosperity are found. So when we find ourselves there in that desperate place where we only have him as our assurance, we are truly blessed or fully satisfied. Think a little child. When their toy gets stolen or they fall over and scratch their knee or something like that, and they run to mum or dad and throw themselves in their arms and climb up on their lap, how quickly is the pain forgotten? Because they are held. How blessed are they? So blessing is not material. Blessing, Being blessed speaks of our inner state of well-being. It's internal, not external. It's found in relationship with Jesus. And I also want to note that in every single one of these verses, the word blessed is followed by the word are. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted, etc., etc. So the word, the word are is not futuristic. It's present tense. 
He's not saying, blessed will you be, blessed are. Blessing is not something that may come if you hang in there long enough. It is now. So Jesus is showing in that in each of these eight unexpected situations, blessing is there. So let's apply that to one of these verses and have a look at what that might look like. Let's look at verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. So firstly, let's understand what poor in spirit actually means so that we can look at how blessing fits into that. To be poor means to be lacking in possessions and resources. If you're poor, you're likely to find yourself dependent on others for support. We all love that, don't we? To be poor in spirit means being brought low or weakened to the point of realizing the need to depend on Jesus. The message version version puts this verse like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Cheers. <laughs> Not really a place any of us likes to find ourselves, right? But actually, there is huge strength in acknowledging our weakness and our need for Jesus. When we reach the end of ourselves, we find the beginning of him. We do and see things his way. And there's a security and a safety in that. I see it almost like a, a storm shelter or a bunker. Around and above us, it's just wild and destructive. And yet, in Jesus, our shelter, we know safety and sustenance. So this, this helps us understand. This isn't in the notes, by the way. I'd just like to interrupt my wife. It just wife. keeps butting in. Um, th- this helps us understand where the Apostle Paul, when he's talking, and, and he says, you know, I, I rejoice in my weakness because when I'm weak, he is strong. So he recognizes his weakness, but he also recognizes there is blessing and strength in him from him. We don't like to look at it like that. I mean, I hate reaching the end of myself. It's not comfortable. And I'm human, so I do all that I can to avoid being there. Anyone else with me? And yet, the times in my life where I have been brought low with nothing left of myself actually turned out to be my most precious times with Jesus. And I can honestly say that the blessing I experienced in those times far exceeds any material blessing I've ever, ever known. And when I look back on those low or needy times, I don't see the pain, the loneliness, the darkness. I see my God and how he was there for me. And if we refer again to the meaning of Makarios and God, I was fully satisfied, even while it was still dark. It's pretty amazing. Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like the tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. You know, the heat still comes. The drought still comes. And yet, blessed are we when we trust in God. He doesn't say when we trust in him that we'll never feel the heat again or that we'll never experience the dry times or the hard times. But he does say that he's there in it and that we can know his blessing in it. So our challenge in the midst of these unexpected situations is to embrace a mindset of being blessed. Seeing our situation as one of blessing rather than one to escape from. So how do we do that? I believe there is a beautiful attitude 
that if applied in all of these situations, we can't help but know the blessing of the presence of God in the midst of them. So what's that beautiful attitude, Tom? Tell us. <laughs> well, to answer this question, we've got to dig a little deeper. And so to do that, we're going to go into the next verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And it says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's in the NIV. In the, NL, in the New Living Translation, it says this, God blesses those who are humble. Now, I believe, and actually I've also sat under teaching years ago, I believe that this verse has been potentially mistaught and misunderstood over the years. See, this verse where it says, blessed are those who are meek, or God blesses the humble, this verse is not about being a slave or less than. This verse is not telling us that we need to become a lesser person to be blessed because of our faith in Jesus. To get a full understanding of what God is saying here, we need to go back into the origin, into the Greek, to understand the specific subject. So the word humble, where it says God blesses those who are humble, the word humble comes from a Greek word, which is humilis, which means grounded, which means willing to submit to authority without pride. Do you think that's where the word grounded comes from? You know, when you're naughty. You're being grounded. Willing to submit to authority. I mean, it's pretty humiliating when you're grounded, right? I remember times of being grounded, it was really humiliating. How often did you have to ground her, Dad? <laughs> she was perfect. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Chocolate, please. <laughs> I actually just wanted to interrupt you. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. The word meek, the word meek, because the New Testament, the, the original language for, for most of the New Testament was Greek, and the word meek comes from Greek as well. It's the word praus, which is translated as strength under control. So picture this. In ancient Greece, they would take large, strong horses, and they would take these horses and they would train them to be war horses. They would train them to run into battle. They would train them to run into noise and confusion. And these horses would not bolt or would not shy to the left or right. They were literally, get this, trained to be meek. It means broken, but not in the sense of broken glass as it's shattered and thrown all over the floor. It means to be broken as a horse is broken. You see, here's this. When a horse is broken, it does not lose its strength. It does not lose its will. It retains its nature it, in being strong and powerful. And yet, yet it thrives under the control of its commander. It willingly submits to the directions and the directives and the movements of its rider. Why? Because it trusts its rider completely. So when we put ourselves into this picture... And we read Psalm 51 verse 17 where it says, The sacrifice that you desire, this is God, the sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. We can now understand that this is not speaking of being utterly shattered, devastated, subjugated to tyranny and dictatorship. No, not at all. When the scriptures say, blessed are those who are meek, God blesses the humble, it means that God, that when we come before God in humility, when we willingly submit to Him with a heart that remains strong and whole, 
not in and of itself, but because we know he loves us. We know he only has the best for us. Therefore, when he gives us a command or he gives us a directive, we can trust that implicitly. Consider this. Remembering that meek means strength under control. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, chapter 1 verse 7, it says this, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, where it unpacks the fruit of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. There is no law against these things. When you consider that Jesus states, blessed are the meek, He is describing someone who is living and operating in and out of humility, who that that person is whole, they are strong, thriving, operating with self-control and discipline and the deepest sense of trust in God and full reliance on His blessing flowing from within, not waiting for it to come from without. Not waiting for it to come externally, but because it's already beating in the core of our being. Oh my goodness, when we get this, you will know freedom like you've never known before. You will know peace and being blessed like you've never known before. So this beautiful attitude that we're talking about is humility. Humility, yes, yes. You know, when you read through these things that Jesus lists, all of them can be unexpected situations. I mean, look, come on, come on, guys, let's be real. None of us plan to be in a place of mourning. None of us plan to be a place in a place of being poor in spirit. None of us plan to be put in a situation where we are required to be peacemakers. In actual fact, most of us try and avoid that one. But you know what? When the foundation of our behavior is one of humility, when we recognize God's goodness toward us, then that humility, that causes us to see the blessing of God in our lives and not just in our lives, but in every situation around us. So let's again, let's apply that to one of these verses that we read. And we're going to look at verse 8 for this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The message puts it this way. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in your outside world. So Jesus knew that when we get our internal world sorted, our perspective on our external world would change. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How much? Everything you do flows from it. Guard it. It takes humility to see yourself as you really are. Some days more than others, right? (laughs) To face the state of your heart, to admit what needs to change, and to let God and others in to help with that. It takes humility to love yourself in the middle of that and to give yourself space and grace to grow. But when you have this attitude of humility towards yourself, you can then allow others to go on the same journey. You can better see the hope of God at work in their life, no matter where they're at. With that beautiful attitude of humility and the realization of our own story and journey, it gives us grace and understanding in dealing with other people. 
Now, even when God's not very evident in their behavior, we can know that he is at work in them. And so we see him. So let's just unpack this just a little bit more. This beautiful attitude of humility, it's not one of exclusivity. It's actually an attitude of radical inclusivity. When we have that blessing within us, when we operate out of humility, it means that we'll allow room for others to go on the journey. It means we give permission to people to make a mistake and grow from that mistake. You know what it means? It means that we can literally live by the commandment of Jesus where he says, love your neighbors as yourself. So let's look at another one of these unexpected situations, the ones that, the one I know I that try and avoid. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, Matthew 5 verse 9. Now, as we were preparing these notes, there were two aspects. I really believe God showed me two things to unpack here. The first one is this, and it's the one that we can see immediately when we read it. When, when we live and operate out of an attitude of humility, then we don't, and guess what? We won't go out of our way to stir up conflict. But what we do is we do everything we can to facilitate peace. Now, I want you to think about this. This doesn't mean that we wait until there's a blow up and then we step in and facilitate peace. That means we do everything we can so there's not a blow up. Jesus was our ultimate example here. Colossians, again, the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians. And through him, that's Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice paid the price. You know, the whole verse of uh, verse 9 in Matthew 5 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Yeah, you're blessed and you are a blessing when you can show people how to cooperate instead of how to compete. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, in the New King James Version, it says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, you know, I'm a bit of a wordsmith, and, you know, wrath, wrath doesn't mean just being merely ticked off. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not your, that, that your daughter hands on hips and stamping her foot at her little brother. Actually, wrath means something much more heavier than annoyance. Wrath is actually strong and vengeful anger. It means to be utterly indignant. But humility is the opposite attitude and behavior to wrath. Humility is a blessing in these situations. So that's blessed of the peacemaker when it comes between people and in situations like that. But as I was preparing these notes, I really, really felt God just bang on my heart about another level where we need to be peacemakers. The second aspect is this, is that we are blessed as a peacemaker when we are a peacemaker to ourselves. Sue's just spoke before of the verse where it said, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Honestly, if we're struggling to operate with humility with the outside world, then could I suggest that maybe we need to do some work on our inside world? If there is a pandemic right now, I can't help wondering if that pandemic is a desperate search for a pure heart, a desperate search for peace and strength within our own hearts and our own minds. 
as a pastor, as pastors, you know, we, we encounter many people both inside and outside of the church, and there just seems to be an overwhelming, overbearing level of anxiety running rampant throughout the world right now. And you know what? You know what I've discovered? This is not age-specific. I have sat and I have talked with kids who are younger than 13, 12, 11 years old, and literally their days are being held hostage by overwhelming panic and anxiousness. They don't know how to get out of bed. They don't know how to eat their breakfast because they, were so, they are so anxious about what's going on around them. As I was preparing these notes and asking God for how do I unpack this, I believe God rewrote that verse for me for the individual, and this is what I believe he said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they can discern between situation and soul. What do I mean by that? There are two places in the book of Psalms, Psalm 42 verse 11 and Psalm 43 verse 5, where the psalmist, King David, he wrote, he asked these questions of himself. Okay, he didn't ask this of the nation or the people, he asked these questions of himself. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted and so disturbed? And in both of those situations, when he questioned himself, he gave himself the answer. And the answer was this. Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You know what? If we can learn to discern between situation and soul with humility, remember, humility is strength under control, then we won't fly into a rage and we won't plummet into despair or depression. If we can recognize this, let me unpack it a bit further. If we can recognize whilst something may have failed, that's the situation, it does not mean that I am a failure. That's our soul. This is the level where I believe that the, one of the greatest levels of healing, if the worship team could please come, one of the greatest levels of being blessed, if we can dis learn to discern between situation and soul, then we will know what it is, and we will be able to walk in a greater level of humility and blessing than we've ever experienced. This discernment that we can be a peacemaker within and live with the blessing of God on the inside. You know, I feel so strongly about this, guys. I feel that there are numerous people needing this peace within. Why? Because you have blamed your soul for the situation. And you need to put your hope in God and praise Him again. You know, this morning, in, in anything that Susan and I have shared, if it resonates within you and, and you feel like, you know what, I need some help with this, then there is going to be an opportunity for prayer and ministry towards the end of our service. And I want to really encourage you to step out in faith and humility to receive prayer and support and encouragement, because actually, we can't do this on our own.